So this morning, and also next Sunday, I'll be continuing our Spirit Flicks message series, finding meaning in movies, finding meaning in the movies that we love. And I was a little nervous to choose the film that I'm going to preach about today. I really, really wanted to preach on this movie, Wet Hot American Summer. And I also was really, really thinking that maybe this was the worst idea I'd ever had. (laughs) If you've seen this movie, you know where I'm coming from, right? It is a rated R film, and it has earned its R rating. There's a lot of inappropriate language in this film, a lot, a lot of inappropriate language. There is a somewhat graphic sex scene, though I have to say it takes place in the context of the most beautiful love story in the movie. And there is a scene that, while intended as satire, makes light of some pretty serious drug use. I won't be talking about any of those parts of the movie (laughs) this morning. But... But even if you haven't seen this film, you may have the same reaction to the title that Teresa had. Teresa, who usually is our uh, song leader here with the band, I asked her if she thought it was a good idea to preach on this movie, and I believe her email back to me said, I haven't seen it, but the title sounds adult. (laughs) She's not wrong about that. But you know, the funny thing about this movie, and part of why I wanted to talk about it this morning, is that despite the title, this film is not adult at all. In fact, adult is probably the furthest word from the truth to describe this movie. This movie is adolescent. It is adolescent in its purest form. The movie Wet Hot American Summer came out in 2001, and it was panned by the critics at the time, but it's become a real cult classic. If you look up the top 10, top 25, top 50 summer movies of all time, this is always there, usually pretty high up on the list. And it was a favorite of my friends and I from high school and college. Now, until I watched it last week to prepare for this message, I don't think I'd actually seen the whole film since I was 18 or 19 years old. And I should admit that some of the hilarity I remembered has been lost (laughs) in the journey to my 30s. But there are still some redeeming qualities that I want to share with you this morning. So the movie's action takes place entirely on one day, on August 18, 1981. It is the last day of camp at Camp Firewood, an eight-week-long summer sleepaway camp in upstate Maine. And one of the first things that you'll notice if you're seeing this movie now for the first time is the cast, which is the next slide right up here. The cast of this film is actually a real who's who of uh, late Gen X and kind of early millennial comedians. The primary creative force behind this movie was the comedy duo of uh, Michael Ian Black and Michael Showalter, who you may have heard of if you watched The State, which was a popular comedy on MTV in the mid-90s. The adults in this film are played by Janine Garofalo, who's the camp director. Her back is to us in the ensemble. Oh, nope, keep that, yep. Her back is to us in the the photo there. And also David Hyde Pierce, who plays a local college professor. And then the ensemble cast of camp counselors is what really makes this movie what it is. 
They're playing high school students in their late teens who are responsible, and I use that word very loosely, for keeping all of the kids at the camp under control. The counselors include actors and actresses like Molly Shannon, Amy Poehler, Paul Rudd, Bradley Cooper, Elizabeth Banks. And so with a cast like this, you think this is going to be a great movie, right? The premise of the film is that on the last day at Camp Firewood, all of the campers and the counselors get together and they put on a big talent show. And after the talent show ends on the last night of camp, anybody who's anybody has someone to kiss on the campground green. Ooh. We follow a lot of different characters and storylines in this movie, but the main protagonist of the story is this guy right up here, Coop. He is the nerdy, awkward, uncomfortable, always kind of seems to say the wrong thing, teenage boy. He's a counselor at the camp, and he is hopelessly, hopelessly in love with his co-counselor, Katie. This is Katie. Now, Katie is completely oblivious to Coop's affection for her. But she volunteers as a friend to help him find someone to kiss on the last night of camp. Now, Katie only has eyes for her boyfriend, the other counselor in the camp, Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd's character, who, in case you can't tell from this picture, is sort of the quintessential boyfriend jerk of all (laughs) movies of all time. You love to hate this character, and you root for Coop all the way. Now, despite this sophisticated and highly original plot premise... A love triangle at a summer camp. I really did want to dig a little bit into this movie and some of the uncomfortable things about this movie, some of the really adolescent things about this movie, because I think it gives us a way to talk and think about some of the spiritual gifts and lessons of summertime. In my training for ministry, I do a lot of work to understand these deep and nuanced aspects of spiritual life and faith and making meaning out of our experiences. But I have to say, kind of ministry 101 is the spiritual metaphor around the seasons, right? The seasons are pretty easy. Spring, what does spring mean? Rebirth, renewal, right? And it's true. It's cliche, but it's true. The the green shoots coming up out of the cold, dark ground and the new buds on the dead branches of the trees. It's a beautiful time of year. Spring brings rebirth. What about winter? Death. Winter brings death. The water freezes over, the plants die, the animals hibernate. I preached a message about winter this February, remember? About how it's a time when we have to learn to share the world with all those unpleasant things, snow and ice, that we have to learn to work with the things that scare us in the dark as the days get shorter. But what are the spiritual gifts of summer? What is summer like? Hot. Yeah. Not today. But it's hot. It's a little uncomfortable, right? It can be funny. It can be kind of out there. Maybe a little awkward, embarrassing, pretty lush. Summer is a time when things seem to grow far beyond the point we ever thought that they could. One of the things that I've noticed is that the growth that happens in summer can really feel exponential if you're paying attention to it. 
I work four days a week at Swarthmore College, which many of you know is actually a college campus, but also an arboretum. There's an arboretum on the campus. And so when spring came around and the weather started getting warmer, I realized I should be taking advantage of this beautiful time of year. And so I started a practice of every day after lunch going outside and going for a walk. And sometimes I would just kind of put my feet in the grass for a little while. And sometimes I would sit and do my mindfulness practice outside. And I often found myself gravitating towards this one garden that was really beautiful. It was a patch of grass, and all around it were all these different plants landscaped beautifully. And in the springtime, I would go out there, and day by day, I could see the changes. I saw those little seedlings come up out of the dark, cold ground. I saw when they sprouted their first leaf on the side. I saw when the little buds of the flowers came out. I saw what color they were. And I watched as they blossomed day by day into all of these beautiful flowers that surrounded me. It was a lovely, elegant, gradual process of unfolding and being reborn. It was so beautiful. It looked so cute. And then one day in June, I walked out to my garden spot. I turned the corner, and it was like puberty had hit all the plants. (laughs) They were huge. There were these green, delicate bushes that had lined the pathway, and suddenly they were covering half the pathway. The little ornamental grass bundles that were so pretty and delicate had gotten taller than me. Does this sound like anybody maybe in your life? It was like a teenager shooting up, sprouting these weird new fuzzy things at the top. (laughs) There were bushes, flower bushes, with these delicate, beautiful little white blossoms all in a globe. And then one day, the globe was as big as my head, and it was too heavy. It was sinking down under its own weight towards the ground. This is what summer is like. It can be too much of a good thing. It can be overwhelming. It's a time of rapid and awkward growth that is surprising to us sometimes. And so when I think about this film, this very adolescent film, it's a pretty clear example of all of the different things that are happening around us in the summertime. And I know that we all know a little bit about what this can feel like, what adolescence can feel like. I think everyone in this room has been there or is there right now. It can also feel too sudden, can feel overwhelming, can feel uncomfortable. It's not always pleasant. Despite all of this amazing growth that happens, there is a sort of cruelty to it. Like, all this is happening before we're quite ready for it. I did look up a lot of lists of top classic summer movies, the greatest summer movies of all time, And I have to say about 90% of them are coming-of-age films. They are movies about this awkwardness and embarrassment. They're movies about sex. They're movies about relationships and the reforming of relationships as all of these changes take place. Some of these movies you can probably picture in your head. Grease, Dirty Dancing, The Sandlot, The Parent Trap, Caddyshack, Weekend at Bernie's, National Lampoon's Vacation, American Graffiti, American Pie. This is not the height of cinematic depth. (laughs) 
these classic summer films. And it's also hard to find one that's appropriate for all audiences. These are films that tell summertime stories, and they often deal with the cruel circumstances of adolescence. This desire to grow up fast and all of the awkward nightmares that accompany that growth, that that growth brings along with it. Now, there's a way in which all of these themes, of course, are timeless for us in our lives. But they're also timelessly connected to this part of the year. You've probably all heard the phrase, the dog days of summer. Yeah, dog days of summer. I didn't know where that came from. I thought it had to do with dogs and how they had lots of fur and they got hot in the summertime (laughs) and didn't want to move and their people had to take care of them. It turns out it's a very, very old phrase that actually has some cosmic significance to it. The Romans, in their ancient civilization 2,000-some-odd years ago, they connected the hot weather of the late summer months to the rise of the star Sirius in the constellation Canis Major, which looks like a large dog. You can see Sirius is the brightest star in this constellation. It's also the brightest star in the entire night sky. And so the Romans called it the dog star. And during the months of July and August, This constellation, and particularly Sirius, the dog star, rose at the same time as the sun in the morning. And the Romans believed that it was the rage of this bright, hot star that caused the hot and humid, miserable summer weather during these months. The dog days of summer. They accepted this as part of the natural turn of the seasons. But they didn't like it very much. They called it an evil time of year. One quote that I found talked about some of the things that happened, according to the Romans, during the dog days of summer. The sea boiled. The wine turned sour. Dogs grew mad. And all other creatures became languid, causing to man, among other diseases, burning fevers, hysterics, and frenzies. Fevers, hysterics, and frenzies. That sounds like teenagers at summer camp to me. (laughs) It's pretty accurate. In the movie, Coop eventually finds himself sharing his troubles with a sort of dubious mentor, one of the other adults at the camp, the cook at Camp Firewood. And... This mentor leads Coop on a very classic summer movie-style journey, the transformation montage. It's a great montage. It's got all the best montage ingredients. It's got a workout scene. There's a dance routine that he learns. I think there's some fighting. He has costume change. There's a really, really great montage song that goes along with it. And Coop's mentor says a couple things to him. One, he tells him, It isn't about the girl, Coop. Well, it is. And it isn't. Makes sense. And he also says to Coop, in probably the only serious line in the entire film, he says, be proud of who you are. Be proud of who you are. However you're growing, whoever you're becoming, be proud. When Coop emerges post-montage, He finds Katie. And in actually this very gracious spirit of complete sort of forgiveness and acceptance, 
He offers her a gift. He gives her his warm flannel shirt that he shared with her earlier in the movie when she was cold. And he tells her in his new husky Eastwood-esque man voice, I've grown up a lot since before dinner when we last talked. (laughs) I don't want to spoil the ending for you. But he does, he does what we so often do with the things and the people that we love. He sets her free. He has grown up a lot since before dinner. He's a little bit more mature, and he sets her free. Like most coming-of-age stories, it's a happy ending, and it isn't. These are the gifts that summertime can bring in our lives. They're not always simple. They can be awkward. They can feel cruel. They can lead to this uncomfortable and overwhelming growth. But summer also brings that other piece of what the Romans were talking about, the part where all creatures become languid. Have you ever made really big plans for a Saturday night in the summer or a summer evening, and then you go outside, and you're ready to go, and it's really hot. It's kind of awful out. And you think, you know, I have air conditioning inside, and I have Netflix inside. Maybe we should just stay and watch a movie. Yeah. Or maybe you go down to the shore, you invite folks over for a barbecue, you're all ready to have some fun outside, and then around 4.30, 5 o'clock, you notice that the wind starts to pick up. And you look up and the clouds are swirling overhead. And you know that it's going to rain violently all over all your plans. Those summer thunderstorms. We know about the dog days of summer, but we also know about this thing called the lazy days of summer. Because sometimes what summertime does is it forces us to rest, to stop. Stop whatever grand plans we may have had and just be with what summertime has given us. And that rest is a different kind of rest than we get in the wintertime. It's not a hibernation. We're not really in it for the long haul. It's just these frequent opportunities to pause, to stop in the middle of all this growth and just take a minute. It's an invitation to sit and watch the rainstorm. It's an invitation to give in to the fan and the AC and just stand there for a little while and enjoy the breeze. I've been trying to make this my personal motto this summer. This is a sloth. I don't know why he's wearing the same glasses as me. I did not plan that. (laughs) But he's holding a sign that says, slow down. You're doing fine. Slow down. You're doing fine. I'm sure there are parents in this room who want to say this to their adolescents, to their teenagers. There are probably parents in this room who are saying that, who hope that their teenagers can hear them. I'm sure that there are people in this room who wish someone had said this to them when they were teenagers or who wish that they could hear it. Slow down with all that growth, with that burning desire that you have to grow up so fast, you're doing fine right where you are. 
You can be a little bit more in the summertime like this guy, this guy right here. And yes, this is the gratuitous sloth photo portion of your message. <laughs> Look at him. He's so happy. There are lessons we can learn from the sloth. And we talk a lot in this congregation, and I'm so grateful that we talk in this congregation about the pressure that we sometimes feel to be moving fast, to be busy, to be keeping up, to be meeting demand and producing, the pressure that's put on us from the outside, from our workplaces, from the social forces of comparison, sometimes from the self-critical and judgmental voices inside our own heads. We tell our teens and our young people, be proud of who you are. But can we show them that we can do the same? That we can simply rest and be languid where we are in our lives? Can we say to ourselves, slow down, we're doing fine? It's a cruel grace sometimes that saves us from ourselves. The cruel grace of the humidity or the thunderstorm. The cruel grace of the rejection of a girl or a boy. The cruel grace of all our grand plans. But within the cruel grace of summer is a reminder that it's okay for us to rest. It's okay for us to just receive. As the ancient Roman poet Horace said, to take as a gift whatever the day brings forth. Or as our final sloth teacher says this morning, live slow, die whenever. <laughs> There's no hurry. We're doing fine. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together. God of our hearts. God of rest. Of summertime breaks and kids gone away to camp. God of clients on vacation. God of road trips we take with our friends. God of all the foolish and silly things that happen in our lives. Let us remember to have gratitude for whatever comes our way, to remember that things can become gifts, even if they are uncomfortable, even if they feel new and fresh and awkward. To remember that at the beginning and at the close of each day, we are okay. We are enough we are worthy of this resting time to simply be ourselves and be with those who we love. Amen.